Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Someone called this current economic situation an engineered recession. That makes it seem like it's man or woman made, which would also infer that we could reverse it and turn it back on. I'm Chris William. Welcome again to the most widely watched source of Carolina business policy and public affairs seen across the Carolinas each and every week on public television stations for almost 30 years. On this program, from the restaurant and hospitality industry in North Carolina, Lynn Minges joins us, and from South Carolina, Doug O'Flaherty joins us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at Bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, special guests Douglas O'Flaherty, Vice President of the South Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association, and Lynn Mingus, President of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association. Welcome again to our program. Um, it's going to be an interesting dialogue in what happens in restaurants specifically. That's where we saw a lot of the acute uh, carnage, if you will, and that's not an overstatement. Uh, joining us now from safe locations, Lynn Minges, who is the president of the North Carolina Restaurant Lodging Association, and Doug O'Flaherty, vice president of the South Carolina Re Restaurant and Lodging Associations. Lady, gentleman, welcome again to the dialogue, and good to see you both. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Uh, Lynn, let me start with you. Uh, Restaurant Association is predicting five to seven million hospitality workers will lose their jobs in the next three months or basically the next quarter. Have we seen the worst? Chris, I think we have seen the worst. You know, quite quite frankly, um, on March 17th in our state, when the governor um, shut down essentially restaurants, restaurant in dining service across North Carolina. Um, it was at that moment that we saw significant layoffs, and we predict that at that time uh, there were roughly about 300,000 workers in restaurants across North Carolina who were furloughed or, or laid off, uh, and so that is the worst, obviously. Um, we hope that many of those will begin to retain some of those employees. There are certainly some incentives, like through the payroll protection plan that the federal government has extended, uh, that will allow folks to hire some back. Um, on, the, on the lodging side, we uh, saw the declines coming a little bit slower. That, that lagged a couple of weeks uh, when we saw the stay-at-home orders began to take 
effect mm -hmm. and, and people began to work from home remotely. They cut out business travel. They canceled any kind of meetings that they may have had on the books. And so hotels lagged by a couple of weeks. But um, and with that, we probably saw another loss of about 50,000 jobs. We're projecting in North Carolina job loss currently of around 350,000. Um, and I do think that's the worst of it. I think the job loss has, has ceased. Um, what we're not going to see, we're going to see a very slow rebuilding, uh, uh, calling back of those employees uh, in a building. And it likely will be quite some time before we're back at the levels that we enjoyed prior to March 17th. Doug, what do you think? I, I agree wholeheartedly with Lynn. You know, uh, South Carolina is a little smaller. Numbers aren't quite as great uh, um, in losses, but the percentages are probably the, the exactly the same. You know, I, I agree with her as far as a slow rebuilding process. You know, uh, um, at the, you know, restaurants, you know, have to deal with consumer confidence, and I think we have uh, people on both ends of the spectrum. You know, we have those that are just dying to get out, that are, that are racing to the front doors, and will be the first ones when restaurants reopen. And then uh, there'll be others that that will quietly sit at home and they'll wait and they'll make sure that policies and procedures and and set up and and their confidence level is at a level that they need to before they're going to go out. So I think restaurant operations are going to to build very very slowly. Um, and uh, but we will grow as an industry. I think our industry will come back 100%. We're going to be stronger uh, because of this, and I think we're going to be better. You know, you both have used the term multiple times now in just a in just a couple minutes. Slow rebuild. What's a slow rebuild, Lynn? You want to put some numbers on that? Well, you know, when we saw restaurants shuttered, uh, um, you know, they they literally ceased across the state. We were able to limp along with drive-through, curbside delivery. And some of our folks have been really, really innovative in keeping the lights on. But honestly, you know, they put on a happy face. They greet visitors. They're excited. They show their dishes on social media. Um, but they're limping along. They're, they're hurting badly. Um, our, our numbers, our survey of our members would show that business is down uh, by 70%. And that's even of those who are, who are in business. Uh, you know, there, there's some variables. Obviously, the drive-throughs are, are doing okay. The pizza takeout delivery are doing okay through this. Um, but, you know, most of them are, are down significantly. The challenge is that as they're down, uh, their operating costs, their overhead continues to occur. So the leases still have to be paid. They have utility bills. They lease equipment in many cases. They have insurance. Uh, they have property taxes to pay. And so, you know, the, the costs continue to come even though they're shuttered and not bringing in revenue. So many of them are accruing, you know, debt. Mm -hmm. um, they're taking on debt through federal government relief, through uh, loans with banks and, and other sources. Um, and so they're going to be a while digging out of this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take several years until we see them uh, back to any sort of normalcy. We're certainly not going to enjoy the prosperity that we saw before this for, for quite some time. Doug, to take that a little bit further. So as Lynn articulates PPP and the federal formalized programs, does landlord sympathy, does do grants from from local uh, nonprofits? I mean, do all of these things, will they backstop restaurants and retail restaurants, as we're talking about, enough to get them to a point where they can start operating again with some type of revenue? Well, Chris, I will say that the restaurant industry is huge. You know, it's the second largest employer in the United States. Uh, in South Carolina, you know, it's disputed to be one of the largest employers in South Carolina. Um, and so, you know, the size and scope of the restaurant industry is so vast that I'm not sure that if, uh, you know, a lot of these stimulus packages are going to be enough 
to sustain restaurants. I mean, we're really going to need the consumers to actually go out and actually dine in their restaurants. What I think uh, restaurants have to really take a look at is profitability models when it comes to their business and taking a look at, you know, their menu price, you know, that they may have an appetizer that's always been $7.95 on their menu uh, because their increased cost and lower customer counts, that $7.95 appetizer may need to be $9.95. It may need to be $12.95 to be able to pay those bills to piggyback what Lynn was saying. Those fixed expenses are not changing. They're the same. You know, I think we've talked to some operators to where their landlords have reached out to them and said, hey, look, we understand what you're going through. We want you to be here tomorrow. So we're going to forgive your, your rent for one month. But to be honest with you, one month is really not enough. We need, you know, a, a lot longer forgiveness. We, I think uh, operators are going to renegotiate their, their rents and, and their establishments, um, you know, based upon the, the level of business that they have, because, you know, restaurants tend in the commercial real estate market tend to be the most expensive per square foot. And uh, I think that, that, that that's going to pivot. That's going to change a little bit. Uh, because because they're just not going to have the number of consumers coming back for a while. Lynn, is the institutional funding it, it, that is response like PPP and other sources of funding, some municipalities have stepped up, some states have made available, um, uh, I'm going to call them rescue programs. I know it's not enough, but is it adequate given the times? Not really, Chris. We've been saying this from the beginning. We've made it very clear that um, our restaurants need a whole lot of support and we need it quickly. And so you know, essentially, um, the first thing we did overwhelmingly that, that all restaurateurs were concerned about were their employees. And so we worked with governors uh, and the federal government to get in place some uh, unemployment insurance benefits that allowed folks, at least in North Carolina, to get on unemployment quickly and to get that subsidized, as you know now, through the federal government in the amount of 600 additional dollars a week. So we took care of employees. We in North Carolina put together a workers relief fund that's providing grants uh, for uh, displaced workers in our industry. And we're proud of that. Many corporate entities have stepped up to sponsor uh, workers who need money desperately for, for bills. And then we pivoted to focusing on the business owners and operators. Uh, this was all really in that third week of March. I mean, pretty quickly, we began to work with Congress uh, to put together a relief program that came uh, in the form of the CARES Act and ultimately the PPP um, that really, to be honest with you, does not benefit any restaurant in America. And I will be candid about that. You know, it affects them all in different ways. Many of them have applied for and received the funds, but there's just so many problems with it. And really threefold, we continue to ask for uh, revisions to that program. So first of all, the June 30 deadline to rehire is kind of unrealistic. So, you know, there is no restaurant that I know that will be fully staffed to the point that they were before this epidemic happened uh, at the levels that they were before, you know, by June 30th. That's unrealistic as we're looking at the the open dates and certainly the, the build back to full capacity being much longer than June 30. Um, the second problem with the PPP is that uh, the percentages of 75% being spent on, on employees, 25% on lease and operations overhead uh, is unrealistic. So that formula doesn't work. And then the third thing we've already talked about a little bit sooner, the, the requirement that the funds be repaid in two years is really unrealistic. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, restaurants, all restaurants, all forms, across America, it's going to take them many years, as many as 10 years to, to rebound out of this. So a two-year you know, loan repayment is, is not realistic. So we're working hard on that. And at the same time, we, as I'm sure Douglas and his team in, in South Carolina, are, are lobbying our general assemblies for relief uh, in the form of small business bridge loans. We're hoping to get that through in North Carolina. 
Uh, we're doing things like trying to get alcohol uh, delivery uh, uh, with delivery, takeout, curb, uh, drive-through. It's just it's a piecemeal measure, but if it can generate a revenue stream for members, uh, for restaurateurs, it's a good thing. So we're just playing whack-a-mole, really. We're trying to do everything we can possibly do, um, push tax deadlines out, permitting, uh, you know, any kind of forgiveness we can get for our business owners. It's not any one thing. There's no silver bullet. We are working so many fronts just to try to keep businesses viable throughout this. So, Doug, to follow, uh, you're still, we're, we're, we're still talking about even on, so let me say the, the record date of this dialogue right now is May 1st. Anything can happen in a day, in an hour. So I want to I make sure that we know that. But, Doug, the question would be, we're still in damage control. We really don't even have any encouraging green shoots to look at and point to yet. Is that right? Well, we don't. And, and you know, that's that's the thing is, you know, uh, as the time we were recording, you know, there are some states that have started some dining process and, and reopening their dining rooms and reopening their restaurants. And, you know, as I stated earlier, it's going to be the consumer that's going to that's going to bring these restaurants back. You know, consumers are going to have to support their independent restaurants are going to have to support their favorite restaurants and they're going to have to be able to get out there to dine. I mean, you know, you can only do so much takeout. You can only do so much curbside pickup, you know, but but being able to have the dining operations, you know, in South Carolina, uh, the governor and the Department of Revenue would not allow for uh, any kind of liquor delivery or liquor sales to be curbside or whatsoever. They did allow for uh, closed container beer and wine to be sold uh, with dinners, but you know, it didn't allow for that liquor piece. And you know, alcohol is a, is a higher profit margin for restaurants. And so you know, until we can get those dining rooms open and get those restaurants there and, and having the opportunity for someone to be able to buy a glass of wine or, or a mixed drink and be able to sit down and enjoy their meal, the restaurants are not gonna have that same profit margins that they would have before, which mind you, and Lynn can attest to this, we're already very, very, very small anyways. And so takeout and delivery and curbside, uh, a lot of them are losing money on a daily basis just to be able to stay open. And they're, and they're staying open just so they can, so they can have some sense of well-being. Uh, they can employ some of their employees to be able to do that. And uh, uh, they feel like that they can also service their customers and their guests because they have a sense of obligation to them. You know, uh, in, in communities like Columbia, Columbia or Greenville or Charleston, you know, or even if we're talking North Carolina and Charlotte and Raleigh, you know, those urban centers are one thing. But what about our rural areas and our restaurants in our rural areas and our small communities? You know, I talked to a restaurateur uh, that was in a small community here in South Carolina. He was the only restaurant in that town. And he predicted on a daily basis, he was losing about $300 a day because he wasn't making enough in sales, but he felt the obligation to stay open because he had to feed the community. He said most of his customers were senior citizens that would call, that they would do drive up and they would do curbside pickup. And he says, and most of them were senior citizens. I looked at his menu, his cheeseburgers were $2.25 for a cheeseburger basket. So and he's not making We're living money. in 2020 at $2.25 for a cheeseburger basket. Um, was is kind of unheard of. He wasn't making any money, but he's also a small restaurateur. And I think that's where, you know, we try to, to make sure that we can, can tell the General Assembly here in South Carolina and try to talk to Congress to let them know that, hey, look, we're not talking about the restaurant on King Street in Charleston specifically every single time. What we're talking about are restaurants in general. And those small community restaurants are the lifeblood 
of their communities a lot of times. Lynn, do you get the sense that there's a fear by the General Assembly and the legislators, and you've been around Jones Street for a while, mm -hmm. I know you get a pretty good sense of it. Do you think they're worried that if they do enact some of these emergency measures, that they can't roll them back so easily? Well, we hope not. And that's one of the things we're trying to uh, impress upon them is that if we agree to open at 25, 50% capacity with six feet distancing, you know, that we would see this uh, with a, a timestamp on it and, and it would be something that we can come back and review as we get through this. We're hoping that some of these restrictions will be eased as we move through what our governor calls phase two and then into phase three. We'll see some, um, you know, some flexibility on some of these requirements going forward. But we know we're operating in a new era. Um, things are going to be different. And and, you know, to piggyback on what uh, Doug said, we represent, you know, a variety of restaurants all across our state. In North Carolina alone, there are nearly 20,000 food service establishments, and, and they kind of run the gamut. They all are different. The business models are different. But, you know, one thing I will say is that none of them, not a single one of them, is built on a model that allows them to be profitable at 50% capacity mm -hmm. on the six-feet distancing. So, you know, those are the, some of the requirements we're expecting to get in North Carolina. We don't know exactly what those will be yet, but... We're watching that around the country. None of them will be profitable under that model. So do you, so do you both think, and this is a question for both of you, so do you both think that the restaurant business model as we've known it will be completely different on the other side of this? I do. What does it look like? I think it's it's going to look uh, um, it's going to look it's going to look very different from from the standpoint from your visual. I don't think we're going to have as many tables in restaurants. I think consumers are going to not want to gather in large venues with people they don't necessarily know. Um, so I think dining is going to change a little bit from the dining room itself. But I also think uh, restaurants are going to really streamline their menus and streamline their services. They're going to be a little bit more specific in what they're offering. I think that the restaurants that, that offered everything to everybody, to anybody, uh, um, are going to be few and far between. I think what we're going to find is, is a lot more uh, streamlined services. Um, I think people uh, are, are expecting some, some form of protection. Uh, um, you know, when, when they dine in, not necessarily in food safety. I mean, heck, you know, we have, we have uh, done so much in food safety already. Um, it's actually safer to eat in a restaurant than it is to eat at home a lot of times. And, and so, you know, food safety is not the issue, but I think protection as it relates to other consumers, you know, somebody, you know, I, I was walking uh, down the street the other day to grab something to eat. And the person in front of me was, you know, 10 feet or so, but I could tell that they just sneezed. I reacted to that. <laughs> you know, I was like, how close am I to them? You know, I don't know what the deal was. So I think restaurant consumers are going to expect that from restaurants themselves. And so I think restaurants are going to have to streamline themselves to make them profitable. To Lynn's point, you know, having a table every six feet apart is not practical. 50% occupancy is not practical. And I think the, 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 the price per foot that landlords are charging for restaurants currently is not sustainable. Lynn, how does how does how do the margins change in the restaurant business after all this? Well, that's going to be interesting. I think you know prices are going to have to be increased to reflect the actual costs that restaurants are going to be incurring. Their again, their overhead, their fixed costs, their leases, uh, all of those have to be paid. And uh, and so I think we're going to see some menu price increases. I also think that we're going to see some shifts in the business model. Um, some of these guys have been extremely creative. I, I'm always amazed at the uh, entrepreneurship and the innovation of some of these folks in business. You know, some just shuttered their doors and they're not going to open until things are ready. In fact, some of them say they're not going to open until we have a vaccine, which means they're likely not going to survive. In fact, we surveyed our membership and about 70% of those said that they could not sustain a business closure of two months. 
70 percent. So, and we're approaching that two-month mark, or certainly will be by about you know mid-May when our governor says that we might you know be able to open in in a phase two recovery. So we're going to see a lot of closures, a lot of different things. But back to the um, the point of the innovators, we are seeing uh, restaurants now providing family-style um, you know casseroles and dishes that can be taken home and finished off at home. Uh, consumers seem to be enjoying that, and so I think we're going to see that continue. Many who did not offer drive-through service are now adjusting their existing facilities to allow pickup through a drive-through kind of capability. Um, I think we're going to see folks expanding out into parking lots and alleys. I've been uh, meeting with, talking with uh, heads of municipalities, mayors from across our state, asking for some flexibility. You know, we're going to have to be creative as we think about the path forward. And um, and and there are some who are wedi- willing to. Uh, accept and embrace that and move forward in some innovative ways and others just who aren't there yet. But we'll continue to, to muddle through and um, and we will survive on the other side. Uh, it'll be different, but uh, we'll be strong. South Carolina has been one of the more progressive states in the country when it comes to reopening. Uh, Doug Governor McMaster's done that through executive order and he's been uh, very in touch, just much like Governor Cooper in North Carolina. As they reopen, Myrtle Beach now is actually open. You can get a hotel you can uh, stay in a short-term rental. The beach is open to some degree. What is the concern now? Uh, personally, what's the concern? And then what's your professional concern about reopening? So I think the, the, just the overall guidance, you know, we've, we've worked closely with our Department of Health, Department of Revenue, uh, the, our state law enforcement division in developing guidance as it relates to restaurants and hotels when they reopen. We're actually, at the time of taping, we're actually in the process of writing the guidance for hotels now and, and what conventions and what groups and, and you know, and, and looking at size and capacities and, and meal service and all those kinds of things. The restaurant proposals have been sent over to the governor for consideration. Um, but, you know, the, the concern is, is who's going to police this? Who's going to patrol it? Who's going to make sure that they're doing it? You know, as Lynn said, she's got 20,000 restaurants in, in North Carolina. You know, we've got a little over 13,000 restaurants in South Carolina. I mean, you know, those numbers are great. And, and that's a lot to patrol and that's a lot to police. And so my concern is, is the education of the operators and getting the education to the operators. And that's going to be something that the association is going to have to take on is to educate the operators on best practices, on ways to, to control social distancing or physical distancing, on best ways to maybe set up the dining room to where you can still maximize seating, but you can still have enough space in between customers to where they feel safe and they'll feel comfortable. You know, I think uh, uh, there's a lot of opportunities that are in there. And what concerns me is that so many restaurant operators are, like Lynn said, are, are struggling you know, to the point of breaking at this point, that opening um, and, and, and bringing in customers that there might be some mistakes made on the front end of getting customers in uh, that might have some long-term impacts. Lynn, what do you think? What, should, what, what do you think the biggest risk here reopening is? So I, I, I agree with a lot of what Douglas has said and uh, to the point of training and preparing restaurants, we are in development now and we'll be rolling out Uh, over the course of the next week or so, a training program designed for restaurant managers across North Carolina, a program for back-of-the-house employees as well as front-of-the-house employees. Uh, The curriculum is being designed to be taken online. It'll take about 30 minutes, and uh, it's designed to um, teach those employees best practices, things like wiping down the condiments that are left on the table, the salt and pepper shakers. You know, you can't use those one after another. we got to put a whole lot of new protocols in place. Uh, 
Uh, and so we're preparing to do that. This, this training curriculum will be rolled out statewide and we hope that most of our, like I said, nearly 20,000 food service establishments will participate in that training program. When they do, they'll get a, the equivalent of a good housekeeping seal of approval. So it will demonstrate that they're a part of our North Carolina promise, North Carolina restaurant promise. And in that, it will be really a three-way commitment. So it's the, the business establishment, the restaurant that's committing to the very highest levels of you know, the best practices and public health standards. Uh, it's a commitment from their employees to practice those best standards, to come to work healthy and to participate in health screenings as they come online every day. And also a critical piece of this is making sure that the customers who come into our establishments embrace that promise. They're a part of that three-legged stool. When they come into our establishments, we're hoping that they come and practice social distancing, that they use hand sanitizers, uh, that they come knowing that they're not exposed to COVID-19 or they don't come with a fever or they're, they're having ill symptoms. Uh, really, it's a three-way promise. As our restaurants open, we have to protect our employees and we have to protect other patrons. So, you know, many of our restaurants are saying that they're going to make this commitment a part of their restaurant reservation system. Please don't book until you you know, agree that you're going to comply with our, our promise. So um, there's a lot of that, I think. I'm sorry to interrupt you. We've got about a minute left. Doug, I want to give you the last question here. And it's a big one, but if you can. Um, so we know hospitality and restaurants are an important proxy to tourism. Tourism is the biggest industry in both states. Tourism reflects a pretty big addition to state revenue. How, do all, how does all that play out? Well, I think it comes down to, I think our tourism models are also going to change. Um, you know, for the time being, you know, we're going to focus on drive markets. I think people are not going to feel so comfortable getting on a plane with many people that they don't know. So I think the drive market's going to be a bigger, a bigger draw for tourism. And I also think that uh, we're going to take a look at um, the opportunity for hotels and for attractions uh, to really take a look. They're going to have to pivot their business model a little bit as well to accommodate the tourism market. But I think, you know, our tourism market will we'll come back because I think we're all pinned up. We're all ready to go. And I'm sorry to cut you off. That wasn't a fair question because it's a big one. Doug O'Flaherty, thank you. Lynn Minges, thank you. Nice to see you both again. Please stay safe and our best to the restaurant industry. Thanks, Chris. Thank Bye, you. Lynn. Good to see you. Bye. Good to see you, Doug. Until next week, I'm Chris William. We hope you stay safe. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, the Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.